Hey everyone, welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! My name is Jared and I'm joined here with the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Ryan. What up, film fans? And Austin. Hey! And joining us from the This Movie Changed Me podcast uh, from On Being Studios is Lily Percy. How are you doing, Lily? Good. Hi, everyone. Great What's to up, have you Lily? here. What's up, guys? Thanks for coming on. So today we are doing the 2005 movie directed by Judd Apatow starring Steve Carell, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. As always, let's go around and get some first impressions. Let's start with Ryan. Ryan, what do you remember about the first time you saw this movie and what was it like revisiting it? The first time I saw it, I remember not really... Like kind of being like, what am I missing here? Because it was a big smash hit, and I kind of didn't really like it. Mm. You know, uh, as give much me some as context. How old were you? Okay, this was two thousand four. Like, that came 2005. out two thousand five. Two thousand five. Yeah, so I was a senior in high school. Okay, right. And uh, but I do remember being a big Judd Apatow fan. You know, so I was excited that he was directing a movie because you liked freaks. And, I loved, freaks and geeks. I love freaks and geeks. Yeah. I loved heavyweights. I love Celtic Pride. All of his early stuff. And then, uh, um, Wait, was so then when it came out with Daniel Stern by chance? Yeah. Oh my <laughs> yeah. God. And Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> oh my God. I remember that. Me and my dad really liked that movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so anyway, I had high hopes. And then, kind of over the years, I remember being disappointed the first time I saw it. Over the years, I kind of had it in this in my mind like, I really don't like the Judd Apatow style, let's roll the camera for hours and just wing it and improv the lines. Because it comes off in the movie is that you can just tell that how. Half the lines are just them kind of like their 10th take of the idea that came to their mind, you know? Mm. So I don't really like that style. However, ha having said that, this was definitely the, my funnest time to watch it because I had a lot of... It is one of those movies you can just turn on. I feel like it's on like CBS or something all the time. And you're just like, you can, there's just jokes every, that come every about 20, 30 seconds. There's good characters. I love Paul Rudd in this movie. I love Jane Lynch in this movie. Yeah. Um, there's some awesome moments. So yeah, overall, I liked it more than I, I used to. Interesting. All right, let's go with Lily next. So the first time I saw it was, I had graduated from college the year before. So I was 23 and I'd just moved to New York. And I remember going to see it in the theater. Similarly to Ryan, I loved Freaks and Geeks and all, all of Judd Apatow's work and was really excited about, about watching it. I was also a huge Steve Carell fan. I had a big crush on him. So this was another motivation <laughs> for me. And I remember being so blown away by the fact that they balanced this character who was so vulnerable and kind and thoughtful with so many jokes, honestly, and just raw, raunchy humor. And that's just, that's kind of the heart of me is being raunchy and vulgar and <laughs> having these inappropriate jokes, but then also this lovely, thoughtful vulnerability. Um, oh, we're going to get along great. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> and I honestly just related to him so much in dating. I've always been a disaster in dating and um, really at times was just like, I'm just going to give up. This is just not a good idea for me. And so watching his character kind of navigate that and then literally see him having given up for most of his life on on dating and sex. It was it was really lovely for me as a woman to see a man go through that. Interesting. What about you, Austin? I mean, I have no fucking clue the first time was when I saw this. I know that in my memory, if you would have asked me a week ago, what do I think about 40-year-old virgin, I, I would have had positive attachments to it because I'm sure I would have loved it and it's funny. What and, happened? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> exactly what happened from a week to now. <laughs> he shaved his beard. Exactly. shaved my beard and I lost all my Samson strength and I'm no longer a man and I can't deal with man jokes. Um, no, I, I actually, as weird as it sounds, and I hate to be like the Debbie Downer, but you you guys have me on here because I'm like the critical theorist. I'm supposed to be like the wanky douchebag that navel gazes, right? So <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going sure. to play that role right now. 
Um, I had We're about to, to get problematic, aren't we? I'm about to get problematic, <laughs> bro. Um, <laughs> I haven't used that word in a few weeks, and I feel like the people are they are asking for it. I, I'm asking for it, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a hard time, I'd say, for the first 30 or 40 minutes getting into this film because of so much attention that's been going on around, like, MGTOW and men rights activists and uh, incels and things like that. So... For me, it was really tough to like separate the cultural conversation that's going on with the way that a that that this guy who's oftentimes kind of taken in a in a particular direction within this like online subculture that now has manifested itself in a couple of um, public displays of violence. It was hard for me to like get that, and I know it's not the same thing. I know Steve Carell is not an incel; like he's kind of more like he's given up on love. He'd be like the shy love version of this subset of this subculture. But I couldn't separate myself from that cultural context. So I actually had like a really difficult time watching this film, even though I still laughed my ass off during like the condom scene and and things like that. Like there are parts, you know, obviously when he's improvising, getting his chest hair ripped out and shit like that, because you know that that whole thing was improvised. <laughs> and you can see yeah. the dudes just fucking cracking up, right? But yeah. I, but I still had a Awesome. For the people at home, yeah. what's an incel? So it's short for um, involuntary celibate which is actually a really kind of terrible term because it makes it seem like you're a victim or something like that. But it's a group of online individuals who have kind of been lurking around like Reddit and 4chan and things like that who are basically dudes who feel that women have ostracized them because they're nerdy or because they don't conform to certain standards of uh, norms of beauty. And so there's this kind of like um, circular self-referential hatred that's been building within these communities. And it's led to a couple of outbursts of anger. Most recently, they believe um, the attack in Toronto where the the man uh, drove a van and killed 10 people, injuring I think 13 or 14 others. Uh, he posted something on Facebook um, glorifying this guy named Elliot Roger, who you guys might remember was the Isla Vista killer who uh, made that post called like Elliot Rogers Retribution on YouTube, where yeah, he talks about how he's been spurned by women and he was going to get his retribution and kill them because they weren't giving them his sex and uh, his the, the love that he thought that he deserved. So I couldn't quite get this weird, perverse desire for sex that the film sort of like manifests as a whole out of my mind. And then also this this kind of like nerdy, shy, love shy kind of guy who's this 40-year-old celibate guy out of my mind and separate that from the culture. And I know it's not the same thing, but I had a tough time watching it because of that. This may surprise you, but uh, in my notes, I have incel written down. <laughs> I, uh, it actually made me think about that as well. But we'll get to that. Uh, so the first time I saw this movie, I was a junior in high school and I thought it was hilarious. I had no idea who Judd Apatow was. I had not seen Freaks and Geeks. But this was the first time that I had experienced, you know, the Judd Apatow. I mean, it was the first time anyone had really experienced the improvisational nature of comedy that he then, for the next decade and a half, will come to own basically all studio comedy. This was the beginning of it. And, you know, in my youth, I was exactly the target audience, and I bought in hardcore. <laughs> this time watching it, I, similar to Austin, I was a little bit critical. But, hmm. you know, see, the difference between me and Austin is that, like, when these things enter my mind, I... <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm like pissed off. I'm like, no, like it's, it's like we have this panoptic ideology that is like, it, it has like ruined me. Like I can't enjoy a movie anymore. I can't mm. enjoy jokes anymore. Not even because I agree with some of the things. Like, I don't think that this movie is problematic at the end of the day, but that voice, that cultural voice that would deem it so 
I can't get away from and it's killing me, mm. you know? <laughs> it's killing me. It's destroying everything. But I, I'm actually glad that you brought that up, Austin, because I think it's going to lead to a pretty interesting conversation. Mm. The only scene that I thought really fit that category uh, was the was the them playing video games and the, oh, you're gay because you did this. Uh, scene. Yeah. You know I mean? we're, really? We're just kind of like, I mean, yeah, it's more I mean, just because it, none of the jokes were funny. It's like, you know, if you mm -hmm. land the jokes, then yeah, you, you know how I know say, you're well, gay. Yeah. It's funny uh, that we share office with a director who's worked on SNL and stuff, and he's making a movie right now. And uh, I told him, "Hey, I just watched Forty Old Version." He goes, "Oh, haha! You know how I know you're gay?" And, he's, and then he just stopped and said, "There's no way you can get away with that today." Right? And, right. and like, yeah. and that's no, that's nothing unique to this film. I feel mm -hmm. like you watch any like it just culture has accelerated so much that you go back even four years and you're going to see that in comedy. So it's not it's not something particularly unique to this film, but. So interestingly, before I go into the recap, I want to bring up a term that, excuse me, one of our fans emailed us. His name is Michael, and he studies at George Mason. I'm actually curious if any of you guys are familiar with this Greek term, kairos, K-I-R-O-S. Have you heard of that, Austin? Yeah, I mean, I wrote about it quite a bit in uh, in a piece that I'm trying to publish right now. Uh, it's a Greek word for time, but it's different from yes. chronos um, or ion, which is understood more as eternity. Chronos is what we think is chronological time. Kairos means like a either like the time to act or the opportune moment. And um, so, it, it means like an age, like a particular age. It's an age, but it's an age in which it's the opportune moment to act. You can't not act. So it comes out of rhetoric and things like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So at least Michael, it seems to me, he sent us an email and I, I'm actually, he's going to interview me for one of his studies, but he suggested that he is talking about how the way we analyze media are the result of the specific time period that it was written in. And I don't want to go into this too much, but for a long time, I've been searching for a term that explains the phenomenon of like, let's say you watch Idiocracy today mm. versus 10 years ago. It affects us differently now. Yeah. What's the term for that? I don't know if this is the right term, but I think that mm. whatever I'm looking for is a phenomenon that I think is relevant to the way at least I consumed this movie on this most recent viewing. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's like, a, it's like a different season or a different age. So it, it, it would be more... A different um, zeitgeist. Yeah, right. zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah. It's mm. more applicable than, than Kronos would be for sure. Anyway, let's go into a recap. So, 40-year-old virgin Andy is invited to poker night by his co-workers where they collectively decide it's their mission to get Andy laid for the first time. After a disastrous encounter with a drunk girl, Andy meets Trish, a single mom who runs a business across the street. Through the coaching advice of his friends, Andy is coaxed into trying male waxing, pickup tricks, speed dating, and even a prostitute. All efforts are fruitless, so he takes matters into his own hands and asks out Trish. The date goes well, but Andy's inexperience, coupled with an unexpected intrusion from Trish's daughter, keeps them from having sex. So on the next date, they decide not to have sex until they've had 20 dates. When the 20th date comes around, Andy gets cold feet, alienating Trish and creating a schism in their relationship. That night, Andy gets blackout drunk and goes home with the girl from the bookstore. And once he realizes she's a freak, Andy runs back to Trish and confesses that he's a virgin. She's fine with it, they get married, and Andy finally has sex for the first time, which inspires him to bust out into a song from Hair. End of movie. <laughs> now, it's funny that this is a comedy that's two hours and 15 minutes yeah. long. What the and, fuck, Jed Apatow? Dude, I mean, he, you think this is bad? It got even worse with This Is 40 and the whatever the Adam Sandler one oh, was. Oh, yeah, it continued, you're uh, right. Funny I, would, people. I would make a note funny people, yeah. about my uh, experience with this movie. It, is, it has been tainted because This Is 40 is one of my top five least favorite movies that's ever been made. Like, you know, I never saw it because, because of the way you described it. I think I just couldn't handle watching it. Have you seen it, Lily? <laughs> I have, yeah. And I agree. I mean, I wouldn't say it's excruciating. 
to me. So long, though, it, it you is, know? Yeah, but it, I feel like it could have lost an hour and a half and been a lot better. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's problematic. <laughs> anyway, continue, Jared. <laughs> That's Austin's word. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I felt Incredible. like I had to give an ode. By the way, have yeah, you yeah. seen Idiocracy recently? Because I watched it uh, for the first time since it first came out, like six months ago, and it was an amazing experience. I, exactly. The experience was different. You know, I haven't, but the movie for me that I, that actually Ryan and I and Alec, another guy who works with us, we watched it like four months ago, and it was a completely different experience was Network. Oh, yeah. Watching Network Ooh, now is idea. fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the first question I want to open this discussion up of is, what do we think of Andy? And what I want to specifically point to here is that at the beginning of the movie, I feel like we're, we're laughing at him quite a bit. Like the comedy only works, at least for the bulk of the first half of the movie, if we also buy into this idea that he's a super weirdo for being a virgin at 40. Mm. And and I'm wondering, do you guys, having watched it now versus back then, did you find yourself reevaluating that? Like, you know, for example, there's a line... I didn't get that, though. I mean, to, to me, it's not that he's weird that he's a, a, a virgin. It's that you see all these quirks of his, and it's like that kind of makes sense that he's a virgin because it's like everything mm -hmm. that yeah. he does, it's weird. You're mm -hmm. like... You're like, all right, that just adds to it. I came to a movie called The 40-Year-Old Virgin. This makes sense that this guy's a virgin because, you know. See, I disagree. I think that at the beginning of the movie, we see that a beautiful woman comes up to Carell and asks, what's the difference between, I don't remember what she says, like Super 8 or Betamax? And he says, I'm not a salesman. And then Jay comes in and swoops in and starts macking on her. And I think the perspective of the film is that like Andy is the stooge. He's the he's the stooge for not hitting on this girl when there's a clear opportunity. Mm. And right. Exactly. And then, and then, like, later when Seth Rogen's character is talking about that he just went over the weekend to Mexico to watch a donkey show and Steve Carell only ate egg salad. Like, I think we're supposed... The only reason... <laughs> he didn't eat it, he just the made it. Yeah, exactly. Right, He's really he excited about going home to make that egg salad sandwich. <laughs> I, I feel like that joke only works if we're... If we think, like, oh, yeah, Seth Rogen is kind of the normal one mm. and, and Steve Carell is the weirdo. I didn't think yes. about him as a weirdo, though. I thought yeah. of him as, as a nerd. What's fascinating to me watching it now that I didn't get in 2005 was like how much the things that he that were prescribed as nerdy to him are now totally normal like liking yes. comic books is normal <laughs> right. having comic book <laughs> figures riding a bike he's mocked for riding a bike and I'm like how many people now ride a bike it's seen as like a hipster cool thing to do right and that guy would be getting laid all the time in LA, yeah, in LA, LA. Like, oh, you're trying to reduce your carbon footprint you're sexy and environmentally <laughs> exactly. conscious <He'd> seen, <laughs> totally. right and then there's one line that was that like I remember we laughed at back in 2005 and it's I play poker online so Sometimes, yeah. like, like yeah. that was soup. Like, that's like, oh man, only weirdos yeah. play poker online. <laughs> yeah, you're fucking cool. But now, like, that's where probably most poker is played. But you're right. Yeah. I do think we were set up to laugh at him, but as a nerd, more so than a weirdo, I think the nerd thing was really played up. Even I think some of the opening shots are him with a boner and peeing. Like, he can't. Right. Like, just he's supposed to be someone who is really repressed and really nerdy and kind of just internally having all these thoughts, but can't convey them to anyone else. Yeah, I mean, I like think even the this is very relatable. You know, he, he is, Go ahead, Austin. I, I was going to say that that to me is actually maybe the the start of where I found uh, it to be a bit problematic. Is that the, the ultimate joke at the end mm -hmm. is right? Is that everybody else uh, that this film is that he's in a state of arrested development? Everybody kind of has some sort of form of stunted growth. You know, you got the dude mm -hmm. that's cheating on his girl. You got the guy who's like this lovesick puppy that's suffering from like auto uh, erotomania, where it's like he was in love with Mindy, but uh, you know they they were dating for like four months, but. 
he's like obsessed with her. And then you got Seth Rogen, who's kind of like a stoner, quote unquote, loser guy. But none of them are adults, really, right? But at the end, yeah. supposedly, Steve Carell becomes a real adult because he really understands what it means to, to be an adult. And it's to have like a committed relationship with somebody. And so there's this like, you can tell that Judd Apatow, who's, you know, he seems like he's a he's trying to live like the good um, American dream kind of uh, nuclear family thing, right? With his wife, who's also in the film again, who's fucking hilarious, and the kids and stuff like that. And so that's like the moral of the story, right? That he becomes the good adult. He finally learns what it really means to grow up and be a man. It's not just about putting the pussy on a pedestal and chasing tail, but, it, <laughs> you know, it's about really becoming someone who connects with somebody, and which I think is just hokey and corny. But um, but beyond that, the only reason that that, that trajectory works is because like you guys have been saying is that we're supposed to kind of buy into the idea that he's al he's already kind of a freak in terms of the way that we look at things, right? Culture looks at us like, oh, we're supposed to chase tail and we're supposed to go out and get laid and we have like these animal passions and that that's like, that that's like normal, but it shouldn't be normal. And so that's where the tension and the humor comes in. And I think that that's kind of just like, I don't know, it's a, it sets up a really weird, like conservative paradigm that I just kind of think. I don't <clears> know, see, I don't even say okay. conservative because I would almost say that it's the opposite. It's, it's like, you know, completely saturated in like, you know, hookup culture. Imagine, just, just think of the title of this movie. Mm -hmm. You know that the 40-year-old virgin, I suppose we're meant to believe it's a comedy because nothing is more ridiculous than a man who is 40 years old and he's still a virgin. Can you imagine being a 25-year-old kid or a 20-year-old kid watching this movie, being a virgin, and then seeing all this comedy and saying to yourself, like, shit, yeah. I better, I like, I've got fucking 15 years before. I better get, I better get, gonna make I better a movie get, about me. I exactly. better get this shit on lock or I am literally, or I am literally like the subject of like cultural lampoonery. Like mm -hmm. being a virgin at 40 is so abnormal, is so pathetic that it's the joke of an entire two and a half hour movie that revolutionized comedy, you know? Like, and, and, and this is where I, and this is where I thought of the incel thing because like it's this kind of cultural pressure that makes that, compounds the frustration of these incels. Like, if you're an incel, if you're 25 and you haven't had sex, which I, I would imagine is probably pretty tragically common these days, mm -hmm. and you see a movie in which the whole joke is that a man can't get laid before he's 40, man, your frustration is going to feel even worse. Because now, not only are you unfulfilled sexually, but you're the about to be the joke of a whole society. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know I, why I did this to myself, but after I watched this, I decided to go down the uh, MGTOW incel rabbit hole a little bit online <laughs> And see what and see what they said about the movie Forty Year Old Virgin, and I'll just mm. give you just like a little snapshot of the general thrust. The general thrust, oh, all right. Yeah. Oh, the general thrust was, man, this movie just totally fucking got it wrong. This guy had totally MGTOW down, which is men going their own way. He had his own MGTOW palace with video games and comic books, and then they brought this girl in to disrupt everything. So the common thread <laughs> wow. was the common thread was is that this guy was doing his own thing. He was going his own way. He was totally happy. He was in a state of maybe naive bliss, but the film totally ruined it by imposing again that cultural standard that you need a woman in order to be satisfied, but he was actually that totally satisfied before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is fascinating. I, it's funny. That's like the most post-structuralist take on the 40 There's more, more of whatever that... Yeah, yeah this is amazing. Like, um, <laughs> if this movie was remade today, it would end differently. It would be like, no, fuck you, Catherine Keener. I'm going back to my toys. That's right. Well, uh, you okay, think so, I, I, really? 
I well, think there's if, a very... I wouldn't say that, you know, most of our culture, but I'm saying that there is a cultural movement that mm-hmm. would suggest that that would be the optimized thing to do. Mm-hmm. I, I see what exactly y'all are saying, but I think the most important scene that, uh, that makes this not so is that, you know, the, the scene when they're all playing poker and then he has that whole monologue talking about, you know, about his sex life throughout the years, you know, and how, how uh, he couldn't Did talk to people. Did you get shy, Ryan? Weird. Were you about to say something explicit and then you, you censored yourself? <laughs> I thought you were no, going to talk I about <laughs> boobs like bags of sand. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Lily, no. you take over the raunchiness exactly. now. It's your turn. <laughs> but anyway, you know what I'm saying? So, so, so he was very insecure, basically, about it's, it's way less about his sex life and way more, because to him, that's not as big of a deal as everyone else is, yeah. like y'all are saying, but for him, it's way more just he can't talk to girls, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and that's always been the issue. And at some point he gave up and he admits that and kind of, you can see in his face that he doesn't like think that that's a necessarily a good thing. It's more the giving up talking to people that's the issue for him, which, you know, in the end, and then, yeah, he just, ha- he just he has sex and that's like the cherry on top at the end. Well, yeah. and it's interesting, we know what Austin was talking about. I see like at the end of the movie that actually in many ways the moral for me is that he was okay and that everyone else around him realized Andy was okay, that they were the ones who were making him out to be yeah. some kind of freak. And mm. I mean, I even think about at one point, I think Seth Rogen's character tells him, he's like, don't let them like tell you all this shit because it's it's not really what love is and you just like, don't worry about it. And like they all slowly come to realize that he is far more normal and healthy than they are <laughs> right. by the end They're of it. They're all way more fucked up than mm-hmm. him. So Lily, I agree with what you're saying. I think by the end of the movie, we are meant to believe that uh, Steve Carell's character is the healthier one. But the thing that I find interesting is that the first half of the movie is only funny, or at least certain jokes are only funny, if we share that cultural disposition that he's right. not the normal one. So when a, when a character like Seth Rogen makes a joke about, hey, I'm pretty sure that Steve Carell's character is a psycho killer and he's going to turn one of us into a lampshade. You know, that's only funny if we as an audience say to ourselves, yes, because 40-year-old virgins are like, you know, so questionable and mm-hmm. weird like that, that I would laugh along with that. No, it's just like that guy in particular, you know, you see him and he's commenting on that guy. I don't think it's as deep as he's, like... He's an introvert. It wasn't just that he was a virgin. I mean, in the store they all worked at, he wouldn't really participate in like jokes and he was always making weird comments like about going home and make an egg sandwich, you know? Like, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I'm really looking forward to that egg sandwich. You know, like people are freaked out by that. So I, I think mean, it's more personality. Yeah, exactly. Thing. I yeah. agree. Yeah, but but, but again, we, I mean, we are supposed to think that he's a loser and that's how it's set up, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what's so powerful is that's where the humor comes from. He's not a bro. Like he doesn't know how to bro down with everybody else because he's not normal. He's abnormal. And so that's where I think Jared's talking about. And I do agree with Jared. Right. On this. And actually, I do think, Lily, that's an interesting take at the end. I do think there's an element of that that, that is true. But I think that at first, the humor gets set up by the fact of first abnormalizing him. He doesn't get laid or he can't get laid because he's a loser. And that's how it's initially set up. And then you understand, oh, he's not a loser. He's just like a lovable, socially awkward kind of nerd. But mm-hmm. still, he's still a loser, but he's an he's an empathetic loser. And I think that's where the tension and the humor gets set up, well, which is well, interesting. Setup is the setup is the key word, though, because, I mean, this movie does lure you in with that, and then it totally reverses it at the end. Like, all the things you were laughing at at the beginning, mm-hmm. you aren't laughing at at the end. I mean, so to me, that's Maybe. kind of a genius structural thing as opposed to, like, a problematic beginning, you know? I mean, hey, from, from, a, from a writing I'll, perspective, I'll, I'll, yeah, that, that's how you fucking make a funny movie. You build up the tension and 
then you reverse it and you have payoffs and shit like that. I mean, in terms of structuring, besides it being 45 minutes too long, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a well-made movie. It, it's, it's fucking hilarious. I know Ryan complains about the improv stuff. I dig that because, you know, actor here. So like I enjoy when the camera's rolling and you're allowed to just play and experiment. But um, I think the movie is actually, it's really funny and it's really well-crafted uh, as, as a script. I'll go ahead and be very honest about uh, my state in life when I saw this movie for the first time. I was a sophomore in high school and I was a virgin. And I, you know, when, at least for the first half of this movie, when you're laughing along with the movie, there is this instilled idea that like, I can laugh with this because there's no way I'm going to be a virgin when right. I'm 40. You know what I'm right. saying? And like that, I think too, I mean, I hate, like, I hate being offended. Like I try as hard as I can not to be. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't say this offends me, but I can kind of see what Aust- where Austin is coming from while saying that's problematic. Because imagine if, not that this was like a defining cultural experience for me, but if my life ended up continuing to have like zero intimate success, like I think the fact that I know that this movie, you know, suggests that that's like the ultimate abnormality or an extreme abnormality, like that would only compound my anger at the fact that I'm 40 years old and a virgin. Mm. Yeah. Hey guys, you know what I recently saw was the last picture show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I love the fuck out of that movie. For people wondering why uh, that was so cheesy is because I had computer problems and we had to re-record. So this is like the third time we've done this, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but for real. So I, I saw The Last Picture Show. You guys all love it. We all decided yes. this. Lily, you've seen it. You love it. Everybody yeah. loves it. People who haven't seen The Last Picture Show see it. It's a damn masterpiece. But um, the thing that I thought was so interesting, again, in watching The 40-Year-Old Virgin was I was thinking, obviously, the incel stuff and incel culture. But I really was just thinking kind of more broadly about the way that like we view sex as being this important thing that, that it's built up. You know, like like they were saying, you do put pussy on the pedestal as a teenage boy, right? You are taught that like mm-hmm. you've got to get laid if you're going to be a man. You know, and all your friends, that's what you guys talk about when you're 16. Or even if you're not talking about it, then you're not talking about it is actually like a lack within a paradigm by which you're supposed to be talking about it. And you feel the fact that you're not talking about it as being a lack, you know, and like to get psychoanalytical there. So it's like the desire is produced by the other system that is like imposing itself on you. And I was thinking about this in relation to the last picture show. And one of the things that's so interesting is, again, you see that tension in that film as well, right? Mm. Where you have these young people that they think that getting married and having sex and uh, there's that performance bit when Jeff Bridges and Sybil Shepard are in the motel room and he can't get it up and then they're like but don't you go out there and you know and act like we didn't do it you better put on the smiling face and then all her Mm -hmm. friends come in and they're like how was it and she's like it was unexplainable or whatever the fuck she says right (laughs) and it's literally I can't explain it (laughs) yeah yeah exactly because it didn't happen Um, but there's this strange thing that somehow it's like a rite of passage within Mm. certain cultures like maybe Western culture in particular, at least that's under this particular pressure of the, the sexual paradigm, that you aren't a human unless you're having sex. And then we think that's it, right? You think like, man, once I have sex, I'm going to go from like, there's going to be the before sex Austin and then the after sex Austin. And after sex Austin is going to view the world in color as opposed to black and white. And then you have <laughs> sex and it's kind of like, oh, that's just like a thing. Like, it, it's not really that special. Like, like yeah, it can, intimacy can be special and it can be deep and connective. But in terms mm-hmm. of just the act, like, it's just like a thing. Like, I, it didn't, like, transpose me into this higher realm of consciousness or something like that. Did it make you want to sing Age of Aquarius? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did, as a matter of fact. And um, <laughs> I did the first my, time I had sex. I don't know yeah, about you. 
I still do, as a matter of fact. Um, so <laughs> That would be so odd if you just started singing that song after sex. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I'm putting it on my to-do list. It's uh, the next time uh, it happens when I'm out of my stage of voluntary celibacy. I will. I will get into that. <laughs> Austin, do you think that though that, 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 that this is a reflection of the 2005 time period and stuff? Because to me, it just is like, hasn't sex being a coming-of-age thing but just Always the history the of human yeah. human beings? Well, you I, know, like ever is, since we could all talk. Yeah. You know, well, uh, right, but I, I guess that's the point. If you were to say that most people come of age at like in their late teens, uh, but I think that's kind of more to the point. If we're saying that this 40-year-old man has not come to come of age yet, then... I don't know, someone in the audience is like, shit, I'm not going to be a man until I... But it's an indictment of that, ultimately. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is it? Is it, it though? Is, it's admitting it at the end. It's like, hey, this is the world, you know, like, like, like we all relate to that. Like, we've all been in that situation where like, oh, am I a man enough or whatever, you know what I mean? But then like at the, but then at the end, it's like, well, fuck all that, you know, like, like, like he found it when he found it and he's 40 and, uh, uh, and all the people that were fucking all their lives hunting for sex, you know, those guys are idiots. I also think <laughs> I mean, that the movie they're not idiots, though. They're fine. What do you mean? No, they're not. They're, 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 they're all like uh, 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 Paul Rudd is going through his shit. You know, no, but all... he, he finds the uh, the coworker chick. Right. Ultimately. But I'm just saying that their mentality at the but beginning of the movie. They bond over being crazy ass people. Yeah, to their exactly. Exes. Yeah. Well, they... but, but it's but even then it's like they bond over having previous relationship experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But which I think is really I think, you know, people do that. I think That's the point of it, though, for that. me is it's fascinating. The older I get and I watch this movie, the more I think about it not being about sex, but instead about how we stop ourselves from doing things that we're afraid of doing, which we're afraid of mm. for whatever reason. Like maybe we were scarred by the time that we tried to dance in public and people made mm. fun of us. And so we're like, we're never dancing again. Right. You know, like all of the different things. And I think about my own life and times where I've stopped myself from doing things out of fear. And to me, it feels more about that than really even about sex, that he just was so traumatized by the shame of not being good at the thing he was supposed to naturally be good at and having women embarrass him. But then he automatically was like, I'm just not going to do this thing because I can't go through that again. I can't go through this really deep shame. Mm. Yeah, I think you're yeah. absolutely right. And I, I wonder, do you think the film sets it up that the first encounter when he's getting a blowjob from his high school girlfriend and he gets like cut up from her braces, do you think they set it up that that's the traumatic moment? Or do you think <laughs> like, and, and then, I mean, and then everything else is kind of... <laughs> that's his qualifying life event. Yeah, yeah. And then everything yeah. kind of came out of that, like that level, that raised his level of anxiety. And so then all future sexual encounters were always going to be a bit awkward I because of that. Or, or do you think it's the moment was the when he hit the cut. girl with his foot <laughs> because then that's like that was the last time right up until that point he was still trying mm, and then okay. he was just like oh my god I've caused myself injury I've caused <laughs> and she told you know, him to stop trying <laughs> yeah exactly and, oh, and then he was right. just she like does. that's it that's it I think more than a traumatic experience is really just the amount of time that has gone by. You know, like, it, it, and I, and I think- Like more, he says at the poker table. Right. Mm. Yeah, I think that it's like, it, it, yeah, because after so much time has gone by and so many of your efforts are thwarted and, you know, you just don't see it naturally happening. Whereas with people like the Jays, like the Seth Rogen's characters, you know, it's like they very seemingly naturally, and I think that's one of the more interesting parts of the movie is when Jay reveals to him, it's like, look, I'm very well groomed. I don't just wake up looking yeah. like this. I, yeah, you know, it takes and, an effort. Um, um, but yeah, like part of the reason why people find themselves wanting to quit is because it seems like everyone else is doing it so effortlessly. And certainly mm -hmm. some things come easier to some to uh, some people than others, but... That's why Seth Rogen's character is so good, that conversation where he says, like, look, I don't look like an attractive guy, yeah. but, you know, mm -hmm. I offset that by, you know, being able to talk to people, you know? And that's, you know, for all the ugly virgins out there, they can go, well, shit, I could do that. Well, there's something to you that know? idea of time, too, because what you're talking about, there's... He lets so much 
much time passed since that last incident where he he tried to he had his foot sucked and he hit this girl <laughs> that like yeah. he's now terrified even more so than if he had maybe a week later gone out with another girl and tried again like so much of rejection and getting over fear is just keep trying until it works and you no longer feel scared and I think he yeah. he let so much time pass that it just seemed insurmountable yeah I mean I think this is just the thing that is so so interesting to me is that the whole film revolves around this idea of societal pressure you know Ryan asked earlier like is this just not something that has always existed you know coming of age but coming of age hasn't existed through the lens of you have to like have sex because I think this I is think, a really well, weird I think so see I don't I in mean, cinema I, definitely yeah, I in, so. in, 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 in civil yes. old civilizations in, in, <laughs> I don't actually in my civilization I'd get bar mitzvah thank you <laughs> yeah exactly exactly uh, and, and then you're a man but no that's it rites of passage right. sometimes it's like sticking your hand I can't remember what tribe it is but they put these fucking fire ants into a basket and you're supposed to stick your hand in there and if they and they bite the shit out of your hand and you don't make a noise and that's your that's your being welcomed into or the walkabout over there where you are right exactly so I don't know that it was always about sex and the way that we view it I think this is a very particular post-Christian perverse understanding of the body that we've kind of like we're trying to, <laughs> to deal with right like sex was viewed as bad for so long or like they talked about an eyes wide shut right before uh, in, in the days of the past or something when, when the Hungarian guy is dancing with Nicole Kidman right he says uh, mm. he's like oh women used to get married in the past so that they could lose their virginity so that because mm -hmm. it was a taboo women weren't allowed to be sexually positive right or sex positive as we think today they weren't allowed to be in control of their own agency over over sexuality and so I think there's this weird like uh, there's this weird reaction but there's still like this um, lingering or hovering tension of like the Christian guilt of sex is a thing that only operates under certain parameters and it's bad and it's dirty and it's weird and it's like transcendently metaphysically special and I think that that's hovering over this whole film and I'll be honest and I don't want to sound like some sort of wanky sex lib guru but I just don't think sex is that special like I don't think it's like metaphysically special I think that they talk about that though in the movie mm -hmm. that's not putting the pussy on a pedestal, pedestal. Yeah, exactly. I think so <laughs> I think so but nevertheless everyone is still putting either the pussy or the phallus on a pedestal like that's the whole thing <laughs> well I think they're just saying you gotta do it at least once but when Fuck. they say yeah. don't, put the, don't put the pussy on the pedestal yeah they're saying like you're trying too hard you're worshipping it or something like that. they're not saying like let's get away from these culturally constructed fears of sexuality based on a repressive that's not what they're saying you know they're they're, no, they're saying to, like it's not it's heavy it's not a, a transcendental exactly. experience like you were saying life. a second but they, ago but, they, but the, but they the still dude are. characters treat it like that I Absolutely. mean like Jay and all like oh, that's what they talk about during poker it seems their entire weekend life is about you know hooking up with chicks and like it, it, I mean that's you know these guys are meant to be like everyman broy characters and it I think like the movie is just constructed in a way it's like yes these people this is normal male culture you know the way that Jay talks about he like talks about preying on drunk chicks he's like you know it's a written code in his DNA that says tackle a gazelle and believe it or not every man there's a code that says tackle drunk bitches now granted Steve Carell does disagree with this and ultimately that that perspective is you know pretty deemed and they do make a point of saying and the one woman she's too drunk because she's passed out <laughs> they're like no no oh, that, too, yeah, drunk, was, too drunk right yeah. that was the, but I think that once again, yeah, it's like, you know, we have the outcast and the normal people and the normal people are the ones that are like, yeah, man, like sex is 
so important that you got to be a lion chasing a gazelle to get it. Right. I mean, it's still it still hovers though as like a weird religious god, you know, and and they respond differently. But the fact is that it's still like a looming figure. It's just funny that you think that this has some sort of conservative type message. When I feel like this movie kind of jump started the, the its box office success is indication of like it, it jump started like the normalized hedonism in these mm-hmm. R rated gross right. out so comedy that's, movies. You that's know? how I would interpret it. Yeah. I was also almost thinking about posing the the question to Austin as a lapsed Christian. How do you feel about this kind of just completely like discarding Christian morality? Yeah. So the weird thing is, is I think it's ultimately reactionary, which I think is a conservative response rather than being sort of, when I said earlier that like sex isn't special, I don't mean it in like this animals do it. It's like in our DNA, bro. It's like the most basic (laughs) thing, man. Let's all just fuck. Come on. With like the bro, like dude thing that's trying to get a girl into bed. That's not what I mean. Um, I mean it more in the sense of like, I think there is a way of kind of in a Nietzschean sense that we can we can reevaluate the reasons that we value everything in a in a post-Christian or post-God landscape. And even if you are still within a Christian paradigm or a religious paradigm, you can still view things from within a, a system that aren't overly determined by the way that that particular religious system tells you things ought to be valued. I think it's really, again, it's still caught up in this ultimate paradigm that like sex is viewed in a particular way that it's meant for a particular thing or it's not for a particular thing or it's meant for the marriage room or that that's like the heights of real connection is is when you're in a relationship with somebody and you can really connect with them at this deeper level and I sound like such an asshole or like a cynic right now like love doesn't <laughs> no, exist I, I hear what and you're I don't saying. mean that but I feel Whether- like it's a reaction to that which is still conservative it's still right. reactionary and I would want to be more transformative and productive in the way that we experience sexuality. And that's why in our episode of Videodrome, I said this whole movie is about... Well, so like Tantra is, I think, an interesting way of experiencing a pleasure that is in a, in a completely non-Christian paradigm. Like and having sex for 12 hours? Well, I mean, yeah, that, that is that is part of it. But it's less about it's less about that. That's more instrumental, right? It's not just you don't <laughs> have sex so that you can like reach a level. It's more about uh, kind of trying to, to get in touch with different chakras in your body or different levels of pleasure or different um, experiences of spirituality or materiality through the medium of the world. And sex is just one of the outlets. But in Tantra in particular, the reason that it can be transformative is because the power dynamic shifts from instead of it being male-led and about the male orgasm, which I think most Western sex is about, uh, it's about female power and um, female orgasm or female pleasure more than just orgasm. And so in Tantra, they talk about the ingasm rather than the orgasm. So it isn't about like ejaculation, <laughs> but it's about the sort of like deep ingasm that you can have that's a full body thing that they say is quote unquote much more akin to a woman orgasm. But I mean, how can you really compare the two? But but still, it's it's about experiencing these different types of sex that aren't just about like male ejaculation. And I think this film is still about male ejaculation, which I think is ultimately what, I, what I'm trying to get at. So before we move on... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That should have been the tagline, definitely. All right, I like just swiftly. Um, all right, so moving on to the next topic here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So before we move on, uh, one thing I want to... So uh, more to Austin's point, there was one scene that I found particularly interesting uh, to Austin's point about how sex is uh, so essential to our society. There's a line where somebody tells Andy, sex should be the last thing on your mind. And then it cuts to Andy walking down the street and he's assaulted by <laughs> sexual know. imagery in real life, in the media, in advertisements, down the street. It's an odd scene that I think is ultimately just, it's just trying to be a joke on how he can't stop, he can't escape thinking about sex. 
But in a weird way, I think it ends up making a commentary on how this importance of sex is instilled in all these social mm-hmm. elements in media, in advertising. You know, that's also an element that makes, whether it be making uh, Steve Carell think that sex is important or his other dude friends, you know. Sex is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's because of this, like, ubiquitous representation of sex that he feels pressure to be more like the people who are quote-unquote right, <laughs> which are the man whores, you know. Um, do any of you guys view the fact that he, in in many ways, is playing the traditional woman's role? I mean, he's a, he's kind of a romantic. I mean, we know that he obviously has had all these traumatic incidents which have stopped him from continuing to try to have sex for many years. But when he starts to have the opportunities to have sex, he's, he turns women down. And in many ways, I think about the scene where he finally tells Catherine Keener's character that he is a virgin. He realizes this whole time, he says that kind of romantic, potentially sentimental trite line, this whole time I've just been waiting for you. I I feel like in romantic comedies, Hmm. women could be definitely in that role. And women are often the ones who are waiting for the special someone to not just necessarily have sex with or lose their virginity to, but just even to be in relationship with. And I think Andy's also a romantic. He's not just... This nerdy freak, he's also really genuinely believes in romance. He finds it hard to watch porn because he can't really think about this being a realistic romantic place for him. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Although I would, I'm a little torn. On the one hand, I think your reading is probably the most correct. But on the other hand, I really think it's just kind of ultimately all about fear. It's not Mm. that he doesn't have desires. It's not that he doesn't have desires that he'd like to be fulfilled. But he's just so afraid of humiliation. Yes, that, definitely. That, uh, you know, like, like it, it's over, it, it's outweighing any effort he would, you know, like, yeah, sex might be great, but man, I've been down that road before, and if I get rejected or I, if I get humiliated, it's going to be so painful, and so and he just wants to avoid the pain. thing, right? For any of us, I mean, I know I've been humiliated before, and like, my first reaction is never again. I don't ever want to feel that mm. again. Yeah. It's a deep, deep, right. profound impact that it leaves. I was going to say, yeah. the bit when he's walking down the street, it reminded me, I remember that cheesy movie with Josh Hartnett called like, what was it? 40 oh, Days 40 and days, 40, 40 Nights. He gives up sex for Lent. Oh, masturbation yeah. for Lent. Wasn't That's it? another great yeah. example of what we're talking about. Yeah, and, and like, <laughs> remember he like, he like goes out and everywhere it's like the, the chicks are topless when he's walking out because yeah, he just totally. can't get it off of his mm-hmm. mind. That, that scene kind of reminded me of this and they probably came out around a similar time, didn't they? Or was this one? Yeah, it's like a perfect, another perfect yeah. example. Like when I was a kid, I was like, oh man, I can't wait till I'm Josh Hartnett's age and, you know, going 40 days and 40 nights without sex will be like, you know, this really hard challenge, you know, because I'm just going to be getting laid so often like, you know, every normal person does. That's fucking bullshit, you know? (laughs) Going out without sex 40 days or 40 nights is fucking normal for single people these days. So, I mean, let's just be honest. Movies do not represent relationships or sex well. (laughs) No, exactly. All of us are probably really fucked up as a result of what we've learned from movies. Yeah, it is weird how, you know, if I watch if, if I watch an action movie and there's a dude doing six backflips or whatever, yeah, some people can do six backflips, but I don't expect myself to do six backflips. But if I see a man who, uh, you know, has sex regularly and, you know, fulfills his desire with relative ease, for some reason, that is harder for me to, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, separate from my expectations in life. Do you guys feel that way? I mean, I think when you watch like the Bourne movies or something like that and you watch these fight scenes, it actually does affect the way that we view the fragility of the body. Like we think, oh yeah, you can take all these punches and you can like Mm -hmm. land on a car out of falling out of a two-story window and you can just limp away. No, motherfucker, you get punched in the face, you go out. You punch somebody in the face, you break your hand. Like I think 
think films do affect the way that we think about it. And then I think sex is just another example of that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that we're looking more at. more sensitive topic. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, Austin, but I guess like, you know, so I love martial arts films. And when I was a kid, I, you know, I, I guess I was just more okay with knowing that I'll never be able to do a backflip in life than oh. the idea that I'd ever, I'd never, you know, have regular sex is basically what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah, but but it's not regular sex. Films don't show regular sex. They show this like or, or, perfect or regu- Like often, sex often. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. On yeah. a regular basis. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but see, again, I think this is just so weird. Um, so in psychoanalysis, they talk about, uh, in Lacanian psychoanalysis, it's that desire is always desire of the other, right? So your desire isn't something that is intrinsic from within, from drives or something like that, but it's something that comes to you from being incorporated into the symbolic order, you know, the rules, the laws, the norms of society, whatever. Um, and it has other more complex elements to it. But the point is, is that your desire is always externally determined, right? And it's like we talked about in our, our Nolan 2 video with Rene Girard and mimetic desire. I want what the other person wants, or I want what I want because the other person wants what I want. And so there's like this competition over it. All right. So I want to make this a little bit more lighthearted. Let's just go around and what is the funniest moment, favorite moments, favorite <laughs> characters? Let's start with Lily. Um, for me, the funniest moment always is um, the kind of poker scene where Andy talks about what he thinks breasts feel like. I mean, mm. I just love the way all of them are looking at him as he says, you know, like bags of sand in your hand. <laughs> yeah. Every time. It's just because the the reactions and his expression and also how Steve Carell is just so earnest in talking about it, and he's just trying to fit in. All of it, I love. I also do love Paul Rudd in this movie, and I love his hatred of Michael McDonald. Like, I just cannot get enough of that. Any scene in the store, which is it supposed to be Circuit City? I'm assuming it's like Circuit City. I don't even know what um, it was supposed to be at the time or at Best Buy. But, you know, they have that damn DVD going all day long, and he's just going apeshit listening to Michael McDonald. So any scene there makes me laugh. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? Um, I liked when uh, when when Steve Carell asked like uh, Seth Rogen like Hey, should I call her? And then he goes uh, No, you wait for it to grow into a plant and then you fuck the plant. <laughs> oh right, yeah. that's a great scene. Yeah, that line got me pretty hard. <laughs> and then I really love the moment when uh, when <laughs> the sweet moment when Steve Carell performs the magic trick with a big dime in the rubber ear, oh, you know, for the yeah. kid. And then the girls like the daughters like That means you walk around with a rubber ear in your pocket all day. <laughs> exactly. And he's like, Yeah. About half the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just that that imagery of him walking around with the rubber ear is pretty it great. Is good. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you got you to gotta be prepared. What about you, Austin? Um, so as much as I can get wanky and talk about how I think this film is problematic, I still laugh like a motherfucker when I'm watching this movie. It's fucking funny, man. So you and, like it. I mean, it's like a, it's like a, <laughs> I hate myself because I like it because then I feel guilty and then I get into my <laughs> philosophical like musings and I'm like, mm, is this film, you know, damaging to cultural, you know, relations, whatever. Because I'm, crazy. Um, but no, uh, yeah, I, I think... You care. Yeah, maybe. Um, so all of those parts I think are fantastic. I think the the bit for some reason that I laughed so much about last night was when he's fighting with the condoms. I don't know why I laughed so hard oh, with it, yeah. but I, I think it's because I've struggled <laughs> with that shit, man. Like sometimes you're like, God damn it, I've, I've done this a thousand times before and I can't even do it. And then he doesn't condoms know what the Condoms are complicated. I love that that scene was included. I love it. I love the bit when he puts the magnum on his arm or he puts it over his balls. I mean, <laughs> oh, Fuck, man. It's so funny. And it, the weird thing is I remember having conversations with my buddies in high school about that. We were like, wait, do you put the condom like over your balls? Like when you were like 14, 15 and you're like... <laughs> <laughs> so I remember having those conversations. 
Uh, you don't, my by the way, part, if there's anybody listening that is trying know, to don't, figure it don't out. don't do it. <laughs> don't do that, please. My favorite part uh, is definitely the the scene between uh, Mooj and Jay. So Mooj is the uh, the Pakistani oh, yeah. employee. Yeah, that's a And um, <laughs> I just love how, like, they're at each other's throats, threatening each other with violence, calling each other variations of the N-word. But then, like, at the end, he's like, yo, you're going to take my sh- shift on Saturday? He's like, you know it. And then they, like, then they, like <laughs> high five and yeah. hug it out. And, oh, God, like... I'm when it comes to offensive humor, I am a hundred percent a Zizekian who believes, and he says that like you know, like that kind of like racist humor or something like that, or like it, it, it's like intimacy through obscenity. Yeah, mm. and uh, I and even like when I make fun of Austin for his Twitter, like it's about that. It's about like showing mm-hmm. fondness of someone through obscenity, and I think that. That's something that has been tragically lost today. And I think it's something that's super potent and very important, at least to me. And I thought also it was just funny. Those two characters going at each other is hilarious. Yeah, yeah it is. It, and it is kind of sweet how they hug it out at the end and they kind of bro it yeah, out. It and you're kind of like, oh, we also you don't talked really about the, the David Caruso scene when oh, Seth Rogen yeah. tells him to channel David Caruso and it <laughs> is great. so creepy and yet effective. <laughs> yeah. David Caruso in Jade. And, then, exactly. and he knows exactly what he's talking yeah. about. <laughs> Which is actually a great moment just because Steve Carell's character is yeah. like such a nerd and he's seen like all these movies and all these TV shows. So he's like, oh, I got that. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just nails it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, have you seen that? I've never seen it. I have not. Jay, I have but- seen it and it is it is effective. It's kind of how Mickey Rourke was in pretty much every movie <laughs> towards okay. the 80s, the end of the 80s, you know, like Nine and a Half Weeks and Wild Orchid, which is this idea that David Caruso then stole from him, really. I think Mickey Rourke might have mm. been the first one where you just are very direct and you repeat things like as a question that someone that a woman says back to you. <laughs> and oddly enough, it should be patronizing, but it ends up being sexy because of the men who are doing it. And so it's so funny to see that scene with Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. I think yeah. the thing that's so amazing about this movie too is a lot of times in comedies, you don't get good acting, but it's all about the jokes or it's about yeah. other elements that make the humor burst forth. But this film is actually like everyone in this film is a good actor, you know, as much yeah. as people want to bag on certain people for whatever reason. I was thinking of Seth Rogen in particular. But in terms of playing the role and being in the moment and being real, everyone's fantastic. And Steve Carell in particular, you can see why this film like launched him into stardom. He's fucking fantastic. Like his awkwardness and the way that, I mean, he, it is so cringy sometimes how uncomfortable he is and how socially Mm -hmm. just unaware he is. And he handles it so well. Um, I think it's fantastic. Well, he wrote this movie. It was something that I didn't remember. Oh, I didn't even know that. I was watching it it. yesterday. Yeah, he co-wrote it. But he came up with the character and what I think he, it really was clear to him it's it's him in some ways oh what had he done before this do you know he he had he was on the daily show for forever mm-hmm. and he was also on uh SCTV second city tv uh with 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 you know Stephen Colbert and all them oh so he's a second city guy yeah Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense why he's a master improviser. And Ryan, you said you don't like the the sort of like Apatow improv shit. Why don't you like that? I like all those people, honestly. And I like Judd Apatow. It's just like, it's more of like a filmmaking thing, you know? Like the only people I think that can do it like fucking awesome and you'd never know is Will Ferrell, basically. Mm. And and maybe like Danny McBride every once in a while. But even Danny McBride, like a lot of Eastbound, uh, not Eastbound, but uh, like Vice Principals and stuff, 
these pounds perfect. The vice principals, you know, it feels like you can just tell they kept the camera rolling for so many takes. Mm. And they're talented, so it works out a lot of times. But then sometimes when I notice it, it takes me out so much that they're making a movie, you mm. know? Like, a, like, usually I'm not, you know, my suspension of disbelief is pretty rock solid. But but for this kind of stuff, I can usually tell, like, all right, they just, that was one of those takes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I say, I think Robin Williams was like, they oh, did yeah. a lot of He's stuff in it, right? Like, too, like yeah. Good oh, Morning yeah. Vietnam is a movie that Aladdin I Aladdin is love. entirely improvised. Did exactly. you know that? Yeah. No, it's not. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. See, I think, see, I love that when someone is a master at it, like, like Good Morning Vietnam is a movie that I love, but I was talking about it with a director friend of mine and he said, I don't think it's actually a good movie. I think it's just a set piece for Robin Williams to be Robin. It really right. is. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and it works because awesome. of that, you know? So so sometimes it works. Um, but I guess I didn't I didn't know that fucking Aladdin was totally improvised. Yeah. Starring Robin Williams, co-starring cocaine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and co-starring Gilbert Gottfried. Uh one, so before we go into the mailbag, I just want to bring up one other thing that's more in line of us, uh, you know, what it's like to revisit a film in another time period, and that is Stormy Daniels is in this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. mentioned that. Yes. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. I, when, when I saw her, I was like, wait, is that? And then I looked yep. it up on IMDb. I mean, it is. Wow. Cool. Yeah, man. And then I was reminded of the tweet of uh, Seth Rogen saying that like, yeah, she just told us about the Donald Trump thing like a decade ago. And it was like, <laughs> you know, whatever. Oh, it was from uh, this movie that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, because I saw that it came up on like my YouTube requested videos of Seth Rogen being interviewed. And I, I watched it, but I didn't know that it was from 40 year old virgin. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. All coming together. <laughs> um, Lily, you, Lily, your podcast is called the, the, uh, the movie that changed me, right? This movie changed me, yeah. This movie changed me? Is this movie a movie that changed you? <laughs> I actually would list it up there. Yeah. It made right. me really stop being so hard on myself. And um, and it, it was a real prompt for me to stop being afraid of things that I had been scared of in the past and had uh, kind of made me overcome experiences, um, particularly with dating. I think I found it hard often to go on the second and third date if the first date didn't go well. And mm. I love the speed dating scene that they actually show in the movie because yeah. I, I definitely related to that and did that multiple times. It's an awkward thing going on dates. And mm. I think that I appreciated that the movie was so just vulnerable about that. It is an awkward process. Dating, relationships, Amen. intimacy, how anybody manages to meet each other and make it work is just astounding to me. So I, I yeah, I do love this movie for that. Power of cinema. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Mailbag. All right. So this first question is from Alexander. Now, before we get into Alexander's uh, question, I want to remind everybody that you can send us an email at movies at wisecrack.co. That's C-O, not .com. Uh, and also, right before we do this, I want to give a reminder to everyone, please give us a review on iTunes. It's a great thing to do. It feels great, and it helps us out. So if you have a couple minutes, give us one of those five-star reviews. Those are particularly good. So Alexander says... I was listening to your podcast on Fargo, and I was surprised you didn't talk more about the role of Norm Gunderson. Mm. Marge's husband is essentially in the same position as Jerry Lundegaard. He isn't the breadwinner of the family and is mainly supported by his wife, who works as the chief of police, something that would emasculate a lesser man like Jerry. Norm doesn't even seem to have a job. Yet this is the only recurring male character who is not reeking of toxic masculinity. He isn't emasculated by his financial dependency on his wife because there's no hierarchy in his marriage. Mm. He supports and provides for his wife in small ways, such as in making her breakfast, jumping her car, or surprising her with lunch. 
In the same way, she supports him. They are simply codependent couple working together. In contrast to Jerry Lundegaard, Jerry is completely focused on money and feels emasculated by the fact that he is financially reliant upon his wife and father-in-law. I think this is a really great point that Alexander brought up. I'd never thought about that. Same, yeah. I love that the last scene of the movie is so amazing, you know, when they're just sitting there in bed and like, you know, she's seen all this, you know, her job, you know, makes her see the worst parts of humanity. And then, yeah, Norm's just sitting there, like, what, making her, no, no, in bed or something? Yeah, or yeah. he's, uh, they're talking about the two-cent stamp that Yeah, his, yeah, his exactly, you know? I <laughs> yeah. mean, it's just like, um, it's an interesting dynamic they have. Yeah, I never really, it's interesting how Alexander was able to bring Norm's character into, like, a relevant context of Jerry's arc. Mm. I'd never really thought of that, but I think that that's pretty insightful. Yep, yep, yep. Cool. This next one is from Andrew. He says, uh, this is about Eyes Wide Shut. He said, you guys argued a little about the state of the film when it was released. Was it Kubrick's own cut? I believe the answer is yes. The studio added the digital figures during the orgy scene only to satisfy a contractually obligated R rating. Those figures have since been removed, even in the version that's currently on Netflix, thank God. I've heard no other evidence of studio tampering. I think it's important to note, however, that all of Kubrick's other films, save for Barry Lyndon, clocks in at about 2 hours 20 minutes. 2001, The Shining, Clockwork Orange, and Full Metal Jacket are all approximately that long. Um, So this just goes more to, and actually we got a lot of comments, and I think that Eyes Wide Shut is a movie where it's particularly important to be skeptical about all the mythology and rumors going Mm -hmm. around about it. Um, And most of the information that I know about the movie comes from books that seem to suggest that there's little evidence to suggest that there's like a missing 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Because this movie is caught up in all these like conspiracy theories about the Illuminati killing Stanley (laughs) Kubrick, you know, and that's why there are 20 minutes left. It's so easy to get misinformed. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not saying that uh, that Andrew is right here, but I just wanted to at least qualify why I was pretty certain that the idea that it was cut down was a myth. Mm. Interesting. All right. Uh, this next one is from Lucy. It's about Donnie Darko. Uh, she said, I wanted to address the famous why are you wearing that stupid uh, human suit line. <laughs> Unlike you guys, I was much younger when the film came out, so I only came to watch it as an adult. I have never had the opportunity to watch it as a teenager. I never saw that line as anything but a jab at the whole suburban outlook of things that the movie stood shunning from the get-go. If it had been a foreshadowing of Donnie's costume, that's pretty cool like Jared said, but I thought of it as a sort of everyone here wears a mask type of turn. Donnie seems to believe that everyone around him is not authentic, that they all wear some sort of mask for the sake of a society they construct along with the mindless people like the Sparkle Motion or whatnot. Uh, but the whole point of it, I felt, is that Donnie himself has been folded, fooled into believing he's authentic, hence the stupid human suit, because he isn't authentic. He's wearing the I'm better than all of you banner with pride when in reality, he's exactly like every one of those poor souls navigating the quagmire of their society, the political climate, and their world problems. He's exactly like them and no better and no worse. What do you guys think about that? First of all, uh, quagmire, giggity. Um, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it's so weird. <laughs> when you hear the line out of context, it sounds like super wanky and try hard. But I think for some yeah. reason, it does actually work in the context. And I think that's a, that's an interesting point is that it is sort of getting to this idea of authenticity versus inauthenticity. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm down for it. I mean, I think in the context of the film, the line works. But who was it? Was it Jared or was it Ryan? That like, Ryan, you liked it 
it, right? But Jared, you thought it was wanky as fuck? Well, I think the the way that you just described it, wanky and try hard, is exactly very, <laughs> very good way to, I like to it put it. I like it a lot. Because, yeah. you know, it's it, to me, it's way less about authenticity and how you act and way more like, you know, this is like a very existential movie, you mm -hmm. know? And it's kind of like, what makes your body so, you know, why is that normal? Like, you know, like, how do you know you're not, you know, just an entity in a suit? Like, it kind of brings up this kind of weird transcendental point. Well, I would say that, you know, interestingly, Lucy says that that Donnie is just as inauthentic as everyone else. And I guess when I first started reading her email, I thought she was going to say the opposite. I thought she was going to say that the stupid man suit is the bunny guy basically saying like, hey, everyone else in your society wears a mask. Why don't you? It's very comfortable. Mm. But uh, but I guess it could be easily, it could be taken either way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I just say you guys have profoundly, like deep, profound listeners? I mean, it's amazing. Their comments. <laughs> oh. oh, thank you. Thank, well, don't thank me. Thank the Whatever. Anyway, so this last <laughs> I one. I agree. You guys are awesome listeners. Yeah, thank you guys. Uh, this last one is from Peter. And I know this is going to seem super wanky that I'm reading this, but he says... What does wanky mean in this context? <laughs> you're, you're about to see. <laughs> okay. I have to agree with Jared's assessment on oh, Cabin in the Woods. That's why. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Boo, Peter! Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I need this, man. I got some hate for that. <laughs> I want to go. I want to find the... Uh, as enjoyable as it may be to indulge, that movie is about as personally engaging and mentally nourishing as wet cotton candy. <laughs> <laughs> Which also I like. My biggest issue with Cabin in the Woods is that it's a film that gets praise and gratification for poking fun at these senseless tropes of horror films, but does this through storytelling and film tropes that are in themselves senseless. The movie asks us to be critical of horror films while simultaneously demanding the viewer to stay in suspension of disbelief for the sake of its own plot. That's like part of the point, bro. The, the, dia <laughs> the dialogue <laughs> is the primary source of exposition in the film. The characters and their actions aren't believable or relatable. And honestly, I don't think Cabin in the Woods does anything revolutionary for film. At best, it's a plot parody with a twist and mix of genre. So, all right, you guys disagree with Peter and myself. Listen, you're, you you're, can't be right all the time. Sometimes you're going to be wrong. <laughs> and this is one of those times where you guys are just yeah, wrong. Hey, I, I love you. I Peter, Jared, uh, love you guys, but yeah, wrong. You're wrong. Um, Lily, what do you think about Team Cabin Jared all the way? Oh, fuck oh, what yeah. The hell? hell yeah. All right, Thank Lily, we you. can't be friends anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's like going on a really fun roller coaster ride and then just saying, you know what? Just being like, you know, that could have been different. Like, you had fun while you were watching it. You can't tell me you didn't have fun while you were watching that fucking movie. You're just nitpicking at <laughs> after the fact, and you're like, you know, you just... Ugh. Yeah, Pete, I'll say, I'll Peter, say, Jared, and Lily, you're not allowed at our party. It's going to be a party of two. I'll say it again. <laughs> it's like going to a buffet. I like the buffet, but man, do I feel like shit afterwards. And I don't think I would go again. See, <laughs> I would just use that to describe like a Transformers movie where it's like, all right, that was awesome. Two and a half hours of mayhem. I felt I had so much fun while I watched it, but I'm not going to fucking remember or think about that ever again. So you know what? This Cabin Woods, I had so much fun, and it was like, and then afterwards, I was like, wow, I I wanted to think about that movie for days. So you're underestimating how much of a douchebag I am, oh. because to me, <laughs> because to me, it's like when I go to a buffet and I eat too much, it's detrimental to my body, even though I enjoyed it. And when I watch Cabin in the Woods, I enjoy it, but I think it's detrimental to cinema. <laughs> What? You wow, can't have is, a, uh, you can't put the movie on the level. pedestal like forty year old virgin. <laughs> a movie is just one movie in all of movies. It doesn't change all of movies just because it exists. One movie can change the whole trajectory of cinema. Look at Star Wars. Look at Pulp Fiction. Don't tell me that one movie doesn't have that power. I guess you're right in terms of box office. What? No, no, he's not but right. In terms he's, of no, Jared, Jared is wrong. Ryan, stick with oh, your yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> tell him, Austin. Why is he wrong? Because man, it's too, we don't have enough time. We're going over. But he yeah, is, yeah, we don't have wrong. enough time. 
but he is wrong. And that's all I'm going to say over and over and over again. And I don't need to support myself. Ten the woods for life. All right. That's it for the mailbag. Reminder, email us at movies at wisecrack.co. But before we sign off, where can we find you guys on the internet? Let's start with Lily. Oh, you can find me. This is actually the only social media platform that I use is Twitter. So you can find me at L-I-L-M Percy. That's Lil M Percy. Um, and at this movie, Change Me Podcast, which is TMCM Podcast on Twitter. Cool. And Ryan? Uh, you can find me, uh, you can find my game show, Ryan's Game Show, that I make in my garage uh, on YouTube or Facebook or Ryan Shorts. And I, we, we just released a film called The Man Behind the Man Behind the Muppets, mm-hmm. where you can find the true story behind Jim Henson. Mm. And Austin. And if you want to hate follow me like Jared does on Twitter, <laughs> I'm at Austin <laughs> underscore Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N. Cool. And uh, follow me at, at Wisecrack. I have an Instagram full of dog photos at Father of Woody. You can follow me. Um, and I want to remind everybody to please check out Lily's podcast, This Movie Changed Me. We're going to put a link in the description. It's really great, really insightful. Um, I recommend listening to her episode on the movie Ordinary People because I've never really had a conversation with anyone about that movie because it's <laughs> even though it has a Best Picture Oscar behind its name, like no one ever talks about it and no one has seen it. So it was really refreshing to hear Lily's take on it. So definitely check that one out. It's a really awesome idea for a podcast too. Oh, thank really, you. Yeah, yeah, I should say it's ideas. Steve Almond um, who does the podcast Dear Sugars and has a New York Times column and is just this amazing writer on like male vulnerability. He's the person who talks about ordinary people and how that movie actually influenced him to talk about what being a man is and and um, toxic masculinity and, and all those things. He puts himself on the line. Like he's opening his heart to the world, man. Good for him. Yeah. What would your episode be, Jared? You know what it would be. Dark Knight? Matrix? It would be The Matrix. All right, yeah. Really? Yeah. The first one. The first one. Yeah. Seeing The Matrix when I was 12 years old is pretty much the most significant life event <laughs> in my life. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mine would be saved, saved by the bell when Kelly broke up with Zach. And when she cheated on Zach, it ruined my the life. the TV I movie? Think. Was that the, the one? It's all of it. The college years, the fucking time when they go to Hawaii, the oh, all yeah. of it. I was obsessed. What would yours be, Ryan? Army of Darkness, dude. Oh, wow. Oh. Wait, so Lily, is, is there one for you, like the ultimate one that changed you? Uh, no. I mean, I always, when I use this example to book guests, I talk about Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and um, yeah. and I talk about Sleeps in Seattle to try to give examples. But um, but it's hard. I mean, there's, there's so many things that, you know, movies change us with and mm. on and lessons we learn. So it, there's so many, including 40-Year-Old Virgin for me. Yeah, cool. All right, well, that's it for today. I want to thank Lily from the This Movie Changed Me podcast for joining us today. It was great having you, Lily. We've got to do this again. Thank you. Yes, I'd love talking with you guys. Yeah, that was awesome. Make sure to join us next week. We're going to be covering the third Avengers movie, Avengers Infinity War. So be sure to check Part the- one. Part, is it really part one? Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, we'll definitely be seeing it over the weekend. So join us as we talk about it. So that's <laughs> it for today, guys. See you next week. Peace. Goodbye from Hollywood, California. Laters. Laters.